Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Strength to Strength. We're grateful to be gathered in this way again this morning. Uh, we've had Brother David Adams joining us. And uh, before we get started, David, I'll get you to introduce yourself, but let's just have a word of prayer before we get started here. Let's pray. Righteous Father in heaven, we're so grateful for your love and your mercy. We're so grateful for an opportunity to meet with brothers and sisters from all over the world here this morning. We pray, Lord, that your presence would be felt and your spirit would direct David as he shares. We pray that um, our hearts would be fertile ground for truth, that we could be inspired again anew this morning of the life of Christ and the beautiful example he left for us. Pray, Lord, that your hand would be upon us and your blessing would be rich. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, go ahead, David. Okay, well, let me share my screen here. I've got a PowerPoint. Okay, can you guys see this and hear me? Yes, we can. Okay, Good. excellent. Well, great. It's great to be with you. I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, Glenn reached out to me and and said he wanted me to cover the all the parables in 45 minutes. I said, well, I'm not sure if I can do that, but um, um, I'm excited about this topic. Uh, it's very rich, very deep, and um, I'm really excited to, to dig in. I've learned a lot through my study, and um, hopefully it'll be a blessing for you. I, I, you know, we live right outside of Boston, my family. I've got two children and um, married. My wife is Ava. Um, we actually come out of uh, the, the restoration movement, so... Uh, I came to a lot of the teachings you guys have been holding on to for, I don't know, a couple uh, thousands of years or so um, in the last six years. So we were doing a lot of things well and uh, ignoring a lot of things as well. So it's been a real blessing to uh, uh, learn about uh, non-resistance and uh, permanence of marriage. And uh, just we've been super blessed the last probably 10 years or so with that. But um, yeah, let's let's dive in. Um, we're going to talk about the King's stories, uh, which is a great topic. And um, I thought the, probably the best way to do this would be to do a little bit of an intro on the, the purpose of the parables and some things that have helped me in reading them. And then I thought instead of a survey, which would do nothing in ju justice, nothing would get, do nothing justice. I would dig into one parable that I I've, I've found very convicting and uh, we'll use some of those principles to hopefully unpack some some wonderful uh, lessons. And um, I, I was able to listen to the strength to strength presentation that Finney did on um, leveraging the, your your business for the kingdom. I think that was through this this series, not, not the the kingdom one, but another one. And um, I was so blessed by that and uh, got so much from that. But someone asked him a question, and it was what are some good books that you've read that have really been transformative? And Finney is kind of like Chuck Plague. Chuck, Chuck, one of Chuck's good friend of mine, close friend of mine, one of my best friends, um, says that some of his closest friends, most of his closest friends are all dead. They, they lived about a couple hundred years ago. And Finney shared from um, John Wesley, he said this, this, art, this sermon that John Wesley had preached uh, in the 1700s called The Use of Money had been very transformative for him. 
So I went back and read that, and it was just a really convicting, challenging, practical, encouraging, inspiring lesson all about um, the parable of the unjust steward. And uh, it's all about the use of money. So I want to use that as, a, as our study in the second part of our, our study here this morning. You know, the parables, you think about parables, you think about Jesus, but uh, I want to just read this, uh, Proverbs 1. Uh, it says, the Proverbs of Solomon, this is the right of the beginning, the son of David, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand true righteousness and upright judgment, so as to give astuteness to the simple, and both perception and understanding to a young man. For a wise man who hears these things will be wiser, and the man of understanding will gain direction. He will understand both a parable and a hidden saying, both wise words and riddles. So that goes way back. And I think to me, it, it tells me that these memorable stories that Jesus told, that they're wonderful characters, they're convicting, they're, they can be actually even funny, um, but they are bringing us true wisdom and righteousness about judgment and, and deep, important things, and that only the wise will understand it, understand them. So I want to be one of those wise people and uh, really to get these parables. In Matthew 13, it says that all these things Jesus spoke to the multitudes in parables. And without a parable, he did not speak to them, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. And this really struck me. He is quoting Psalm 78. So the psalmist was prophesying that God would come in the future and open his mouth in parables. And, and that these would reveal secrets from the foundation of the world. I mean, that's, that is really phenomenal and um, gives to me these, these stories um, a real gravitas and importance um, in God's mind. And just as side homework, um, Chuck threw this out couple years ago, but if you want a little extra side homework, check out Psalm 78. And I believe that there is a hidden parable in that Psalm and um, dig into that and see if you can find it. But I'll give you a hint, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 11, and see if you can mine some treasures into an Old Testament parable that um, is pretty, pretty remarkable. Also in Matthew 13, uh, Jesus wrote, um, sorry, my seeing part of my screen here. Um, and the disciples asked him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries. Of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given, for whoever has, to him more will be given, and he who will have, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, 
nor do they understand. And in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears of hard of hearing, their eyes have been closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn that I should heal them. So again, another prophecy, but to me, it speaks to me, speaks to the fact that we're confused, we're deaf, we're blind. The kingdom message is hidden, but the parables are meant to reveal it uh, for those who will hear. And, and they're extremely practical. That, that the goal, it says here, is that we would turn back to God when we hear them and be healed. And I think about the church where I grew up in. We often use, for example, the parable of the soil um, to reach out to non-Christians. And we're very, very evangelistic. But that parable, <laughs> it's for everybody, right? And um, that is a very convicting parable for me as a Christian of 30 years. Don't want to be in the third soil. That's the one I wrestle with. So some of the questions that helped me when reading the parables is just, and these are simple, but I think uh, people can get, get, kind of get really crazy when it comes to parables and what they mean and hidden meanings. So I think practically, you know, what's the context? You know, what's, what's, what's the situation that the, the, that the parable is being told in? That's the first thing. And you think about, um, here's a couple. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, okay? Which one is that? You probably all know that one, right? Persistent widow. The context, we should pray and not lose heart. Another one, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. And then we can almost see the two guys in our minds, right? Praying. And so what's the context? Uh, often we're told the point of the parable from the context. Then often Jesus explains the parables. He'll literally say, this is what it's about. And he's usually telling his disciples. So I think of some of these parables, the parable of the sower, the tares, and the unjust servant, which we're going to look at. Third, I think it's really important. How does the parable fit with Jesus's other teachings? And so John D. did a great message last week, or it was the last session in the series, on the Constitution, the, 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 the Sermon on the Mount. So how do those teachings or any other teaching of Jesus tie in to the parable? And I think applying those is quite powerful to, to pull out meaning for our own lives. And then lastly, I found great benefit in understanding how the early church understood the parable. Not that they're gospel, and certainly not, but they're only a couple of generations away from the apostles. And I think they have very interesting insights and very helpful and often very practical. These guys are walking the walk, living the life. And of course, we need to test their insights against the scripture. But we're going to share, a, I'm going to share a few um, of their insights into the parable of the unjust steward. And um, we'll see how they line up against scripture. So let's, let's dig into the parable. Let's look at a parable. And this, we're going to look at the parable of the unjust and shrewd servant taken from Luke 16. And I want to um, just ask some of these questions. So what is the context of the parable? Before we read it, um, 
the context is Jesus is actually speaking to his disciples, but the Pharisees are present. And after he gives the parable, and he does a little bit of teaching, says the Pharisees who are lovers of money derided him. Okay, it's a pretty strong word, derided. Um, they thought what he was saying was terrible. They, they, they totally disagreed with it. They mocked him, okay? And, and this is, Jesus, of course, is, is, doesn't really back down, right? And so Jesus comes back at them, and he says, says, no servant can serve two masters, but either you'll hate the one or love the other, or else he will be loyal to one or despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Then he doubles down. He says, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men, money, which we've just been talking about, is an abomination in the sight of God. So here the Pharisees are deriding Jesus based on this parable that he says and is teaching about money. And he's saying, well, guess what? I think what you treasure is an abomination and comes right back at him. And then he triples down and he goes on and tells the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. So if they didn't quite get the message. Um, I think he kind of nailed it with that. So, so the context is clearly Jesus is talking about money. This parable is about money. And we can probably draw other principles from it, apply to other things. But clearly Jesus is using it to talk about our handling of wealth. I want to just, before we read the parable, I want to read what John Wesley said on the, on, on, in the beginning of his sermon on the use of money. And this is, the entire sermon is based on this parable. I think it kind of sets the stage. It says, the love of money, we know, is the root of all evil, but not the thing itself. The fault does not lie in the money, but in them that use it. It may be Ill, used ill, but it may be likewise be used well. It is full as applicable to the best or to the worst uses. Money is an excellent gift of God, answering the noblest ends in the hands of his children. It is food for the hungry, drink for the thirsty, remnant for the naked. It gives to the traveler and the stranger where to lay his hand, head. But it, by it, we may supply the place of an husband to the widow and of a father to the fatherless. We may be a defense for the oppressed, a means of health to the sick, or ease to them that are in pain. It may be as eyes to the blind, as feet to the lame, yea, a lifter up from the gates of death. And then he goes on basically to devote the rest of his sermon explaining how we can be faithful stewards of the mammon of righteousness, which is taken straight from the parable. Okay? So let's, let's jump into the parable. Uh, let's read through it. And... Um, I'm just going to read straight through it and a few things Jesus said after the parable. He also said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. 
So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? So he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is also unjust in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all these things, and they derided him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Okay, there's our parable. So let's, let's unpack it. So what's the details of the story? Okay, there's a certain rich man. Can we think about who that might be? Okay, lots of riches. He's the master. And he has a steward. What's a steward? Someone, a steward, right, is someone who holds another's possessions. They're not his own possessions. They're simply being managed by, for the master, uh, by the steward. So he's not the owner. He's just taking care of his master's possessions. So the steward is accused of wasting his master's goods. Um, he doesn't seem to put up much of a defense. It seems like he actually is wasting them. And he's in trouble. Um, master hears about it and removes him. And that means he's losing a salary. He's, he's finished. He's, he's got a big, big problem. And he realizes I can't do manual labor. And I don't want to beg. So I, I'm in trouble here. So what shall I do? So he comes up with this great idea. I've resolved what to do. And he's going to basically go to all of his, he says that he's going to go to each one of his master's debtors while he has this authority, he's going to write down their debt and they're going to be so appreciated. They're going to take care of him once he's lost his stewardship. Super smart, trying to figure out how do I secure my future? All right. And then, so he goes to each of them. He does this. And, you know, I, I'm an attorney by training and, uh, and by practice. So I, I um, work in estate planning, like drafts a lot of wills and trusts, but I'm, I'm very involved with the law. Well, I would say this is, the technical term is probably unjust enrichment. Okay, you can go to jail for this. Um, it, it's kind of like embezzling or stealing. I mean, this is not good what this guy is doing um, with his master's possessions. And so here we have, he's doing this, looks like a, a very unjust thing, the unjust steward. But here's the twist, right? It's a total twist in the story. And this is often in parables, right? We get these twists and the master's response. And it's, it just throws us, throws us for a loop. He, he commends him. So Jesus crafts the story 
to throw us for a loop. And he's commending the unjust, unjust steward for being shrewd. But it's not just being shrewd. Um, he's securing his future. And then I feel when I read it, my personal opinion, is this is like a rebuke to the sons of the light. He says the sons of the world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of the light. I think that's a rebuke to us. So let's, let's explore that a little bit. So two things we learned from the parable. Um, the steward is wasting his master's goods <laughs> and he's removed. And that's bad. What he's doing is bad. So he's, he's disciplined for that. And then the second thing is he's using his master's wealth to secure his future but this is commended. So he does one bad thing and he has another thing that the master actually commends him, although we know it's unjust. So let's keep those separate. Okay. Does Jesus explain or give insight into the meaning of the parable? So let's look what Jesus says. What does Jesus say? He says, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon. That when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. This is the punchline of the parable. This is what he said. This is the main point. And it's a command. <laughs> what does this mean? <laughs> How are we supposed to do this? So we're going to come back to that in a little bit. What else does he say? He says, whoever is faithful in the least will be faithful in much. And if you're not faithful with unrighteous mammon, with money, that he's not going to commit us with true riches. Okay. So steward is obviously not faithful with his master's goods. How we handle money has an impact on whether we're going to receive true riches. That's what Jesus is saying. This is one of the, this is one of the points of the story. And it appears to me that we're supposed to make friends um, with our money to secure an eternal home. Again, we're not sure what that means totally at first, perhaps, but we'll, we'll dig into that. Now, what else does Jesus say? Well, we can look to other parables, right? Other teachings to maybe dig into this. Now, you think of Matthew 25. This seems very similar, right? There's three different guys. They're also stewards of the master. They've been given talents, and, um, and they're entrusted with those things. And, and you know, the first guy, one of the guys basically puts it in the hole, buries it, and, and the master comes back and says, you wicked and lazy servant. And he casts the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness because he wasn't properly using his master's goods. And of course, the other two guys, one is given two, others given five. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Okay. So very similar parable. I think it tells us God expects a return on what he's entrusted to us. It's not optional. He doesn't expect every, the same from everyone. We're given different amounts. He's looking for a return, but it's going to be unique for each person. And he does expect a return, though. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to go into these scriptures, but there's so many scriptures taught by Jesus or in the New Testament about our future rewards. Let me just read one of them. It's 1 Timothy 6, which is much in the scriptures about this. 1 Timothy, it says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, 
nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good. They may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may hold lay hold of eternal life. A lot of these passages are scary when I read them. And, and exciting um, if we're doing the right thing with our wealth. What else does Jesus say? Well, we already hit this one, but you cannot serve two masters. You're going to hate the one and love the other. Jesus knew that something about money grabs our hearts. It grabs our loyalty. It turns us away from him. And um, we're going to love one or hate the other. The unjust steward. He was a terrible steward of his masters because he didn't love the master. And the guess is he loved money. So I want to look at just a few practical applications for us. Some of these are from Charles Wesley, um, who lived in the 1700s, and some from the early Christians. And I appreciate um, the early Christians I mentioned earlier because these guys are walking the walk. These got, many of these guys were persecuted. They suffered. They died for their faith. Um, and they were very close to the apostles. So let's, let's see if any of their um, insights line up perhaps with the scriptures. So I'm going to give you seven practicals from this, this, um, this parable. And um, just test it yourself. Look at the scriptures. Think about it. And uh, see if you think these, these line up. So the first one, this is from Clement of Alexandria. Um, he wrote around... He lived around 150 to 215 um, AD. He was in Alexandria, Egypt. And he's responding to people who are saying that all the Christians should sell their possessions, basically, essentially impoverishing themselves. That was a command to all the Christians. And look what he says. Um, Oh, sorry. I have a terrible thing right in front of the scripture. There we go. Okay. And how much more beneficial the opposite case? So he's talking about not the opposite of selling all your possessions for a man, though possessing a competency, both not himself to be in straits about money. So he's not in poverty and also to give assistance to those to whom it was requisite to do for, if no one had anything, what room would there be left among men for giving? And how can this dogma fail to be found plainly opposed to and conflicting with many other excellent teachings of the Lord? For example, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when you fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. Acquire treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys nor thieves break through. How could one give food to the hungry and drink to the thirsty, clothe the naked and shelter the the houseless, for not doing which he threatens with fire in the outer darkness, if each man first divested himself of all these things. <laughs> you see what he's saying? He's saying, look, if we all sold all our possessions, no one have any money. So how will we carry out the commands to take care of those in need? So we have to have money to provide for others. Now, I'm sure there's situations where it's appropriate for certain people to sell their possessions. But he's saying, no, we, we need to have wealth so we can um, take care of others. Okay, here's another one from Wesley, which I thought this was really convicting. 
Um, I think he really takes this from Colossians 3. Um, basically, it comes out to working hard and do your work well. And, he's, and the point he makes is basically, if you do that, people are going to pay you for it. People really, it's valuable. If people have integrity, they work hard and um, are profitable um, to their employers. And I think it comes from Colossians 3. Bond servants, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not to men. Know that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance uh, for you serve the Lord Christ. So look, look, what, look at Wesley says. He says, gain all you can by common sense, by using in your business all the understanding which God has given you. It is amazing to observe how few do this, how men run on in the same dull track with their forefathers. But whatever they do, who know not God, this is no rule for you. It is a shame for a Christian not to improve upon them in whatever he takes in hand. You should be continually learning from the experience of others or from your own experience, reading and reflection, to do everything you have to do better today than you did yesterday and see that you practice whatever you learn that you may be the best of all that is in your hands is that wonderful saying don't do your job the way you've always done it improve grow learn from others do it better become more valuable in your position to your employer or in in your work as a business owner and i i've i've taken this to heart the last couple years i realize a lot of my long hours is due to my lack of discipline, my lack of courage to deal with problems in my firm, and, and um, my lack of knowledge of how to be a good manager, how to run a good cash flow, how to be, do, do the, the practice of law effectively. And I need to do it godly, but I need to do it better. And I'm, I'm doing that. I'm seeing a lot of my hardship was due to my lack of, um, of growth, and I'm seeing a real difference in my practice um, as I grow, continue to grow in that. So work hard and do your work well and keep growing. He also talks about basically you should use as little of your money on yourself. Okay. You should work hard, you know, get an income, but don't use much on yourself. And, and let me read this. Uh, I just, I can't say it better than he says it. Do not throw the precious talent into the sea. Leave that folly to the heathen philosophers. Do not throw it away in idle expenses, which is just the same as throwing it into the sea. Expend no part of it merely to gratify the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eye, or the pride of life. Waste no part of it in curiously adorning your houses, in superfluous or expensive furniture, in costly pictures, paintings, books, and elegant rather than useful gardens. That's interesting. Let your neighbors who know nothing better do this. Let the dead bury their dead. Lay out nothing to gratify the pride of life, to gain the admiration or praise of men. And he goes on to reference the parable of the Lazarus and the rich man. Um, Wesley says, ask four questions before you buy anything. Okay, so think about these questions. Maybe you're going to buy a pair of walking shoes or a new piece of equipment or a car or something. Okay, here are the four questions he says you should ask. Okay, in spending this money, am I acting as an owner or as a steward of the Lord's goods? (laughs) That just really shifts the whole purchase for me. Two, 
Am I spending this money in obedience to the scriptures? Okay. <laughs> that, that kind of narrows things. Okay. Is there a reason in the scriptures that I should be buying this? Three. Can I offer up this action's expense as a sacrifice to God through Jesus Christ? Okay. Now it's getting a little fuzzier, right? Is this honor? This is like the command, be holy, right? <laughs> There's no rule for that one. You got to figure that one out for yourself. Okay. Is this a sacrifice? Is this purchase of these tennis shoes a sacrifice to God through Jesus Christ? Okay. That's a good one. And then <laughs> this is more challenging. Have I a reason to believe that for this very work, I shall have a reward at the resurrection of the dead? Okay. Hmm. That might give me pause. And then, <laughs> you're not sure after asking those four things. Wesley says, I got a prayer for you. Here's a prayer I want you to pray. Just in case there's any doubt in your mind, if you're not sure, I want you to pray this before the searcher of hearts. I want you to pl- pray it with a clear conscience. Okay, this is a prayer. Lord, you see that I'm about to spend this amount of money on this pair of shoes, this car, whatever. And you know I'm acting with a single eye as a steward of your goods, expending this portion of your goods in pursuit of the design you had in entrusting them to me. You know I do this in obedience to the Lord as you commanded it, and because you commanded it, and because you commanded it. Let this, I beseech you, be a holy sacrifice, acceptable through Jesus Christ. And give me a witness in myself that for this labor of love, I shall be compensated when you reward every man according to his works. Then he says, now, if your conscience bear you witness in the Holy Ghost that this prayer is well-pleasing to God, then you have no reason to doubt that that expense is right and good, and such as will never make you ashamed. (laughs) very practical it comes right from this parable or he he draws the application from this parable wesley says how to spend your money is actually quite simple what obedience to scripture he says look whatever is needful to eat and wear and whatever nature moderately requires to preserve your health and strength you just got got to pay for those basic needs go ahead and use your money for that Oh, and by the way, you should provide for your spouse as well and for your children and for any servants or others in your household, 1 Timothy 5.8. And if, if there happens to be something left over, do good to those who are of the household of faith. Then you can go ahead and then basically do good to all men with the rest of it. So that's it. That's what scriptures t- teach us. I thought that was pretty good. Um, that worked pretty well for me. I think doing good to all men might include starting churches in different parts of the world. That costs money. I think that captures a lot of it. Most of it. Okay, number five. This is from Cyprian, and this is around 258. He died executed um, by the Romans. He makes a point that we should be using our wealth for the things of salvation. How does he say it? He says, you say you are wealthy and rich, and you think that you should use these things which God has willed you to possess. Use them, certainly, but for the things of salvation. Use them, but for good purposes. Use them, but for those things which God has commanded, and which the Lord has set forth. Let the poor feel that you are wealthy. 
Let the needy feel that you are rich. Lend your estate to God. Give food to Christ. Move him by the prayers of many to grant you to carry out the glory of virginity. He's speaking to the, the virgins. And to succeed in coming to the Lord's rewards. There entrust your treasures where no thief digs through, where no insidious plunderer breaks in. Prepare for yourselves possessions, but let them rather be heavenly ones where neither rust wears out, nor hail bruises, nor sunburns, nor rain spoils. Your fruit's constant and perennial and free from all contact of worldly injury. Here's very interesting insight. This is from Tertullian. It's on a piece called On Patience. He's writing around 160 to 230. And this is a little, you got to really think about this one, but he's comparing giving to those, giving up your wealth to serve the needy to giving up your wealth when someone takes it from you. It's the same heart we should have. This is how he says it. Because patience in losses, someone taking your things away, assuming through persecution, or actually he goes on and says persecution or something breaks and you get really upset, right? Something, you break something of yours and you get really mad about it. Um, or someone borrows something that you, you had and, and they, they, they lose it and you get really upset. Patience and losses is an exercise in bestowing and communicating. Who fears not to lose finds it not irksome to give. Else how will one, when he has two coats, give the one of them to the naked? Unless he be a man likewise to offer to one who takes away his coat as well. You see that? So w- why would you give your tunic to the man who takes your cloak um, if you won't be willing to give away your possessions to take care of the poor. How shall we fashion to us friends of mammon if we love it so much as not to put up with its loss? We shall perish together with the lost mammon, right from Luke 16. Why do we find here when is our business to lose? To exhibit impatience at all losses is the Gentiles' business, but us, According to the diversity by which we are distinguished from them, it becomes to lay down not our soul for money, but money for our soul, whether spontaneously in bestowing and giving to others or patiently in losing. So he quotes Luke 16 about this idea of our heart should be to let go. Finally, probably my favorite, Clement of Alexandria writes this. And he basically says, I want you to use your money to build an army of friends. And of course, this is a picture of making friends, right? But contrary to what is the case with the rest of men, collect for yourself an unarmed, an unwarlike, a bloodless, a passionless, a stainless host, pious old men, orphans dear to God. Widows armed with meekness, men adorned with love. Obtain with thy money such guards for body and for soul. For whose sake a sinking ship is made buoyant when steered by the prayers of the saints alone and disease at its height is subdued. Put to flight by the laying on of the hands and the attack of robbers is disarmed, spoiled by pious prayers and the might of demons is crushed, put to shame by its operations by strenuous commands. All these warriors and guards are trusty. This is this picture of the old men and the widows and the orphans. Trusted guards. No one is idle. No one is useless. One can obtain your pardon from God, another comfort when you 
sick when you're sick, another weep and groan in sympathy for you up to the Lord of all, another to teach some of the things used for salvation. Okay, so these these meek, these poor, um, who you're helping with your money are actually rich spiritually, praying for you, helping for your success. So how do we understand this parable? This is, how I, this is what I take away from it. God's the rich master. Everything we have is his. We're just his stewards, right? We're not to waste his goods like the unjust steward. We don't do that. We ought to be shrewd like the unjust steward who understood how to secure his future. It's a command, be shrewd like him. We do this by using our wealth as the master has directed us to care for others and making friends for ourselves by unrighteous mammon. And there's somehow, there's an eternal reward for our faithfulness to God, including our use of money. And there's the opposite if we don't do it well. Now, I want to make it really real to close out. Okay. So let's say Cain, he works a job. He's working 50 hours a week and he makes $50,000 a year. Now, these numbers may be high or low for you, but just think about the concepts. Okay. His expenses are 45000 for him and his family. What's left over? 5000 So he throws 4000 savings for that rainy day and things that break and things that happen. And he, he, he puts 1000 in need. Okay? It just so happens that he's working 50 hours a week. He's neglecting his family. And he's actually violating his conscience because his boss is asking him to do things that he knows he shouldn't. But he's getting a good income and he's going to do it anyways. He's a coward. He doesn't want to live by God's standards. Okay. What's his reward look like? His eternal reward here. Is he being a good steward of his time, of his talent, working, making this income? Is he being a good steward with the expenses? Is 45000 the right amount to be spending on his family? Maybe, maybe not. Is he good being a good steward with his savings? Is he being a good steward with those in need? Those are questions Cain better be asking himself, according to this passage, these passages we've looked at. Now we got Abel, okay? Now Abel also works 50 hours a week, but he's figured out he has a job where he can work with honesty and integrity and not violate his conscience. He works very hard, and he only makes $45,000 a year. Okay, he doesn't make as much as Cain, but he's got a job where he can keep his integrity. And he's figured out how to live with less money, using less for himself, which means he's got more left over. And he's saving a little bit less for himself, and he's able to contribute more to those in need. What's his eternal reward look like? Okay, he has to ask himself that. And, and I don't think externally you can tell. We don't know what his needs are, his family situation, but he's, he's wrestling with that. And this got, let's, let's go with Seth, okay? So Seth, for a long, many years, has been working with a lot of integrity. He's been growing in his skills. He's learning from other people. And he's become quite valuable to his employer. And he's figured out how he can keep a job working 32 hours a week. And for 32 hours a week, not only can he provide for his family and provide for the needs of others, but he can also devote more time to ministry. And he can be 
working with the poor. He can be reading his Bible with non-Christians, studying the scriptures, building up the church. Okay. And he's, he's, he works very hard those 32 hours, but he's kept it to a lower amount. He's got 50,000, but even though he's making more than um, Abel and the same as Cain, he's figured out how to live on 35,000 a year. He's just as happy as anyone else. He's joyfully serving the Lord. That leaves him 25,000 left over. Now he's putting 5,000 away for savings because he knows there's things that not only come up in his own life, but other people's lives that he needs to be ready to help out with if it's appropriate. And that leaves him 20,000 to help those in need. Of course, no one knows this because he's giving secretly like Jesus told us to do. (laughs) What's his eternal reward? (laughs) How does God view that? The searcher of hearts. (laughs) So, I find this parable extremely practical (laughs) in the teachings around it and um, very challenging, but exciting because I want to be more like Seth and more like uh, what Jesus um, talks about and I think desires. And I think to conclude, um, parables really bring to life Jesus' teachings. And John D. talked about the Constitution. Like it is the perfect, the Sermon on the Mount is like the perfect Constitution. If, If people live this way, We'd have the perfect societies, but the parables bring it to life. That they make it real. They put meat in the bones to show us. They contain God's wisdom, mysteries since the, the world began, hidden. They're extremely practical and useful for our lives, and we need to work to mine their treasure. I mean, we got to dig. They don't. It's not obvious, and I think Jesus wants us to dig these treasures out. And if we do, um, we can discover the way of our King in His kingdom in the path to eternal glory. And I want to throw out one more thing, because mostly brothers in line here, I think maybe all, is you learn stuff, wait for your wife, bring her along. Don't run too fast, especially in this area around money. I think this can be really important. You walk together, you need to lead, but don't get too far ahead and bring her along. And I think that'll serve us well um, as husbands. I think I'll stop right there. I've got a final quote from Wesley. Now I'll let you read this um, on the uh, on the presentation later. But I think I'll just stop there. And um, I can't see the time, but I think we're getting close. Yeah, that's great. Um, thanks a lot, David, for that. I was deeply challenged by that. Um, I think if we would apply those tools to any one of those parables that Christ has shared, I think we'd be a little blown away by the truths that he has in that. It's an interesting, interesting method of teaching is to share stories and leave the work to the students to, to mine it out and to find the truth there. Um, Thank you for doing that on this parable. Um, I feel like, That's something that comes very close to home to each one of us. It's something we spend a lot of our time doing is making a living. That's what we call it, making a living. Um, and I was greatly challenged by that. There's a couple things that really stood out to me. One of them is make friends with your money. And the other one is if you can't be trusted with your money, how are you going to be trusted with the, king, with the riches of the kingdom of heaven? Um, I had a, how do you suggest we make friends with our money? 
Yeah, I, I think we need a lot of wisdom, but I, I think it is, yeah, it's using it to, to serve others. I think it really comes down to that. Serving those who are in need, um, physical needs, um, spiritual needs. And I think the challenge I feel is, I mean, we spent, like you just said, we, we spent a lot of time and energy in our jobs. Yeah. And as an attorney, I mean, I actually appreciate one of the banes of being an attorney is you have to do all those things by hourly work. So you actually come to appreciate the value of, a, of an hour as you bill by it. But I realized that, you know, the more hours I can spend doing God's work is, 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 is actually also as valuable as the, the dollars that I, I give to God's work. And they're both equally valuable. But I think that's how I make, make friends is serving those in need with my time and with my treasure. I have two questions. Uh, number one, uh, I thought I got the impression you were about to to uh, share with us one more cell, and uh, uh, I was on the edge of my seat to find out what that was. Uh, actually, there are three. Uh, number two, is this you? The Wesley references are to Charles, not to John. Is that correct? Yes. And number three. Uh, you had a, a piece of art that showed Jesus uh, teaching. And uh, I wonder what that artist is, if you could tell me. Thank you. So um, I, I'm not sure who the artist is, actually. I, I, I did a very deep study by going to Google Images and searched out parables and found that picture. And I liked it a lot. Um, it just kind of captured the spirit of, people listening and trying to figure out what he was saying and being very intent. And it's kind of how I picture it probably was. Um, so, and then the, the last slide, um, I'm, maybe if we have time in the last minute or so, I can read it. Um, it's a great, he basically sums up his, his view of the parable, uh, Wesley does. And I think it hits on all these themes. But that's Charles, not, not John. Charles you know, now I'm, now I'm second guessing myself. Um, pretty sure it was Charles. Yeah. I'll, I'll double check here. In my mind, it was Charles. Well, that's interesting because he was a prodigious uh, hymnist. Uh, right. I don't think of him as a Bible teacher or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, maybe it might have been John, actually. I, I, I might have just misplaced that. You can you can find his sermon very easily on Google. Okay, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. The question is asked: How do we make friends with our money? I think sometimes we as Anabaptists are really really frugal, and we think that's a good thing to be. And money greases the rails of relationships. I I think we can do better at not being so tight and being known as, as generous people. Yeah, Wesley actually says that holding on your money is um, like throwing it away. And yeah. uh, it's like throwing it into the sea. And, and actually, he, he talks about in his sermon. Actually, I've, I've just learned it is John Wesley. So my apologies. It was, it was John. Um, he says that it was, um, 
Yeah, it's like throwing it into the sea. And, and of course, there's another parable, right, about the guy who uh, stored up all his riches in barns, and yeah, that didn't end well for him. So mm-hmm. just, just working hard and building up wealth and not using it and storing it up, that's Jesus pretty clear on what he thinks about that. Yeah, we can be frugal when it comes to ourselves and liberal when it comes to anyone else. And that would help with any of the other warnings that Christ has or the scriptures have about loving money. And if we're frugal with it, when it comes to ourselves, we have a less chance of falling in love with it. Um, if we're just being liberal uh, with, it, with anyone else in our relationships. Amen. Still a little confused. And maybe because I'm a blue collar worker. <laughs> my name is Patrick. Um, I did a business plan when I started my, my uh, soup kitchen and ministry, and it looked like I would borrow money and give it away and always be in debt and then borrow more to give more away. And I feel like I'm stealing when I do that, <laughs> but I'm, I, I don't know. I'm all twisted up by this parable because I'm still unclear about it. And I'm going to call somebody else about it later on to work it out. But I really think that we're supposed to give everything we have away. And I heard you saying that, but I'm, I'm confused by it. I'm like really baffled by this, this parable. Okay. Well, I think what's helpful for me is that I think there's two things going on. In this, this steward's life or in the story is that one, he's unfaithful. Right? I think that's clear. He, he was wasting, it says the first, the first line of the parable says he was wasting his master's goods. Oh, I understand that. But I mean, I live a life of just service to other people. And I'm wondering if I'm doing the right thing. Should I be storing some more money so I can give it frugally? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> no, I don't think so either. I'm just... I'm listening to this and I'm getting all twisted up because I thought what I was doing was right. Now I'm questioning if I'm doing it right or wrong. And I mean, if you're using your wealth to make friends and take care of others, that sounds pretty good. I, I think there's probably different discussion about loans, you know, personally. I give all my time to other people. Yeah. Well, and, I- and that I'm poor. <laughs> so it's a long, I, let me get off. Let somebody else go. I'm just, Really okay. by this whole deal i mean I, I i'm it sounds to me like you're right on track with what is pleasing to the lord so and i think one, giving your you, time in in and living simply to me is in, in service of others seems very christ-like but amen but why are people telling me i'm wrong for doing it this way and they're not all Anabaptists. I mean, I have people that say, you know, I should be more diligent in business. And see, I run a ministry and I say, is it a business or is it a ministry? And they said, it's a business that supports a ministry. And I'm going, no, it's a ministry. And everything that we get, we should give away. I'm, I'm, let me pull out. I'm back in now. <laughs> okay. I, I will say, um, I've been, um, I realized that, as a lawyer, I was trained as a lawyer, but no one ever trained me how to run a business. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of Christian lawyers out there teaching you how to run a Christian law firm. So I've had to look around hard to get training on how to run an effective business. And of course, what happens is you get around people who are quite worldly. 
And so it's a very challenging, but I think a very healthy thing is to, to, to work through that and to spit out the bones. Um, I'm not going to do it that way. You know, I'm not, this is not all about profit um, and how I treat my employees and how I treat my clients, my customers, how I market, how a Christian does it to me completely different. But at the same time, I've learned a lot of important things and skills that, that have been super helpful. So I think it's not either or, um, but it's difficult to, to get training, but keep it godly and yeah. discern what's difficult, what's, what, what's right. That's right. And we can't, we can't, um, like you mentioned earlier, we can't under appreciate the amount of time that we spend helping other people. If we don't have the money to do it, um, if you can invest your time, I mean, a lot of us do get paid by the hour. So you appreciate the value of an hour of time or two or three or eight or 10. Um, spending time helping people shows a lot of love and compassion as well, especially if you're taking that time away from time when you could be making money. Right. Um, right. So we can't, we can't take the value off of that either. Amen. One thing that's helped me in business a little bit is to, for, cause before I was a Christian, the business was mine and what I was working at was mine and it was for my ends and my means. And, and after being a Christian to look at it as, you know, this is all God's anyway. And if you would think of someone that you highly respect handing you a business and saying, take this and run it and make it profitable for me, that would be quite a weight. And to, to put that in perspective of, you know, God has handed this to me and says, here, take it and run it, use the profits for, for my purposes, then it helps keep that all in perspective a little bit. Amen. Great application. Do we have any other comments or questions? Yeah, I just want to say I really enjoyed that talk you had this morning, David. Uh, it's a lot of areas I want to work on and sharpen up in my own life. And and one thing that I was thinking about recently being in business myself is that a lot of times we try to look at paying our employees as little as we can and get away with having good workers for as cheap as we can. But I think in the Lord's business, we should look at it the opposite way. Can I pay them as much as possible and, and, you know, enough to keep the business healthy, but yeah, just flip that around. And uh, if we have that attitude, I think the workers can sense that and they can enjoy working for you rather than just, just so putting up with it. Amen. Another brief comment. Uh, the reward in the uh, uh, parable of the uh, of the talents is not leisure; it's responsibility. That's right. That's right. They're made rulers, right? <laughs> Which. I think it's a wonderful insight in terms of how God views work. You know, this is just, this is a good thing. Amen.
Well, that brings us to the top of the hour. If we don't have any more comments or questions, um, thank you, David, for that insight and for drilling down in that parable and bringing it to life and bringing it home for us. Um, I've been challenged to do that with more parables. Some of the parables you look at, you read, you puzzle over it and you wonder, you know, what was the why? Why did Jesus and all his wisdom share this truth in this story? And so I've been challenged to um, take some of the steps that you've outlined this morning and apply them to some of the other stories that Jesus shared and to see what truths can come to light in that. So thanks a lot for that. I really appreciate it. I think we've been blessed. Um, Before we go, we can gather again next Saturday, same time, six o'clock in the morning, Eastern. And we're going to be having a panel discussion. It'll be a little different format than we, than we have. It's called in God, we don't trust. And it's a discussion between Kevin Breckville and Matthew Milioni. So come praying that, um, the purpose of the kingdom can be moved forward through that discussion and we can be blessed through it. And before we go, David, would you mind closing us in prayer? Sure. It's been great to be with you all. Uh, Father, thank you for uh, the, the wonderful stories that Jesus came to tell and all the wisdom that is still available for us today, Father. Would you, would you help us, God? Would you help us with managing our money, God? Would you protect our hearts? Um, would you help us to repent where we need to, um, to really be the stewards that you want us to be? It's just a bright light um, to the world. And it, more important, it just really seems to be very pleasing to you, our master, our loving father. So would you help us with this, God, and give us um, wisdom? Help us to find um brothers in our lives to help us sort out the details, but God, help us to really be determined to um, run with these principles and these teachings. We, we love you so much. Will you bless us today in our work? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Did you have something to share, Glenn? Um, not necessarily, but yeah, thank you very much for um, sharing and uh, actually, I was uh, wondering if you wanted to share that last slide uh, that you had uh, proposed that you could possibly share. Sure, I'd be glad to. If anyone wants to stick around, sure, I'd love it. Okay, we'll let we'll let John Wesley close us out here. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling very foolish now, but that's good. It's good to feel foolish. <laughs> Okay, here's what he says. You see then what it is to make yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, and by what means you may procure that when ye fail, they may receive you into the everlasting habitations. You see the nature and extent of truly Christian prudence, so far as it relates to the use of that great talent money. Gain all you can without hurting either yourself or your neighbor, in soul or body, by applying hereto with unintermitted diligence and with all the understanding which God has given you. Save all you can, 
by cutting off every expense which serves only to indulge foolish desire, to gratify either the desire of flesh, the desire of the eye, or the pride of life. Waste nothing, living or dying, on sin or folly, whether for yourself or your children. And then give all you can, or in other words, give all you have to God. Do not stint yourself like a Jew rather than a Christian to this or that proportion. Render unto God not a tenth, not a third, not a half, but all that is God's, be it more or less, by employing all on yourself, your household, the household of faith, and all mankind, in such a manner that you may give a good account of your stewardship when ye can no longer be stewards. In such a manner as the oracles of God direct, both by general and particular precepts, in such a manner that whatever ye do may be a sacrifice of a sweet-smelling savor to God, and that every act may be rewarded in that day when the Lord comes with all his saints. Amen. Thank you for that. Amen. Well, that wraps us up. God bless you all as you serve him today. And go with God. Amen. Thanks, you guys. Have a good day. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend.